I'll talk to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we still ourselves in thy presence this evening. Our Father, thanking thee for the access we have in and through this new and living way. And Father, we approach thee most reverently and humbly in the worthy name of the Lord Jesus Christ this evening. Our Father, we're thankful that we're found in this uh, building, Lord, where the good news, where the gospel is to be sounded out. And Father, and we thank thee in days of darkness, confusion, distress, wickedness, Lord, on every hand. We thank thee, Father, that you're still the great God of eternity who sits on the throne. And we thank thee, Father, that we're still found in this, the day of thy grace, when men and women, boys and girls, can repent of sin, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, be saved for time and for eternity. Father, we thank thee for the assembly here at Scott Street. We pray they might know uh, much of thy blessing and guidance and uh, difficult and uncertain times. Father, we just look to thee for help tonight to speak well of the Lord Jesus, to uplift him before the gaze of the parishing. And we just trust and pray, should there be one in the company tonight as yet a stranger to grace unto thyself, might be the night, Lord, when they would ask, what must I do to be saved? And Lord, receive the, this wonderful answer, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Lord, bless the gospel right across our land and for their afield. Remember those, we pray tonight, who are persecuted and suffer greatly for the name of the Lord Jesus. Father, we pray thy blessing upon them. And now as we turn to thy word, we pray that help might be given and that indeed we would have a profitable time in thy presence. Father, now return in our thanks in the worthy name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Just uh, a few announcements to make for the assembly. And as ever, we'll make these announcements subject to the will of the Lord. Wednesday night at 8 p.m., prayer meeting and Bible study. And the subject will be the Mount of Transfiguration. That's Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Next Sunday at 7 p.m., next Lord's Day, the Gospel meeting, and the speaker will be our brother, Roland Pickering, who needs no introduction. That's our brother, Roland, next Lord's Day at 7 p.m. I was saying to Tony, I believe you had Nori last week and you have Rowley next week. I don't know how I managed to get tangled up in such suspicious company. But nevertheless, it's a great honour and a pleasure. I love coming to Scott Street and uh, I really enjoy the fellowship with you. And if I can be of some little help in the gospel and uh, along the pilgrim pathway, I'm very glad to come and to help. I'd like you to turn with me to the little book of Philemon tonight. The little book of Philemon tucked in at the back of our New Testament. First and second Timothy, Titus, Philemon and Hebrews. Just slots in before the book of Hebrews. 
been reading this little book recently and, you know, have really enjoyed it and enjoyed it from a perspective on the gospel and even as a Christian have really got something from it. So for a short time tonight, we'll, we'll maybe have a little uh, consideration on this. It's not that long, we'll maybe read uh, most, most of it. We'll read Philemon and reading from verse number one. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to our beloved Haphia, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers. Hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast towards the Lord Jesus and towards all saints, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the knowledge of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saint are refreshed by thee, brother. Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I beseech thee for my son, Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him, that is, mine own bowels, whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be, as it were, of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps there he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever. Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me. But how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with my own hand. I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee, how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. Ye, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord, refresh my bowels in the Lord. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. But withal prepare me a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. There salute thee, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus, 
Archias, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. It's an interesting little book we find tucked away at the end of our New Testament. Philemon comes in as the third shortest book of the Bible with 335 words coming in. I think it's behind second and third John. Third shortest book in the Bible. But, you know, this book, it was written by Paul while in prison in Rome. The Scholars would tell us that it was written about 61 to 62 AD by an aging Paul, a private letter to a man in the church in Colossae. What was the purpose of the writing of this letter? Well, as we have read together, Philemon had a slave called Onesimus. Onesimus had run away, possibly stolen from his master, Indeed, has fallen in with the Apostle Paul, uh, to use our language, has got saved. And now as a Christian, he wants to return. And as it were, Paul is seeking to uh, smooth the way back to his earthly master. Interestingly enough, I think we could nearly take from it there that Philemon was probably even a, a convert of Paul. Most definitely knew him and knew him well. Now, we read quite a few names there, but I want to think about three characters out of the book tonight. I want to think about Onesimus, the runaway slave, the Apostle Paul, and thirdly, Philemon. Some people ask, why would this little letter, a little private letter, seeming maybe not that important in the grand scheme of things, why and how it finds its way into the canon of Scripture? Well, I wouldn't be so bold to question the wisdom of the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, many scholars and writers have said it's here because it really shows forth a picture of God's graciousness towards sinful mankind. And I have to say, reading that as a casual reader, I would have to say that really I see that picture of God's gracious dealings with mankind. So, with the help of God, we'll try and look at it simply and draw a few lessons from it in the Gospel. The first character we think of is Onesimus, the runaway slave. You know, slavery was a terrible course of the, uh, of the Roman Empire. And uh, they reckon that, the historians reckon that up to two-thirds of the population of the Roman Empire at this stage were slaves. So, Onesimus was owned by a man called Philemon, a Christian we read also. Uh, we can read about him in the Colossians. He was in the church at Colossae. The church actually met in his house. And, you know, I know I don't have to come to Scott Street to tell you this, but we know a church is not this. It's not four walls and a roof. The church is the people, the believers, the living stones. It's the ecclesia, the called-out company. And if you're saved by grace tonight, you make up a part of the church of Jesus Christ, which he is the head. But Bonesimus reminds me of guilty fallen man. You might say, how so? Well, 
You know, in the garden, how Adam and Eve, they were put there, they were created, they were put into this beautiful garden, they were given the stewardship, and they were told that they could eat of every tree except the tree in the midst of the garden. We know that Satan enters the scene as the serpent and tempts and beguiles Eve. She eats of the fruit of, or the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden and gives to her husband Adam, and the fall of man through disobedience has come. When Isimus separated from his master, mankind separated from his God. What does it tell us in Isaiah 59 and 2? Our sins, our transgressions, they've separated us from God. What is it the old preachers used to say? We've been born with our backs towards God and our faiths towards hell. The truth of the whole thing. But you know, not only does it remind me of the separation of man and God, it reminds me that men are slaves to a lot of things. And tragically, as we look out on the world, probably even in our own communities, how frightening it is that men are slaves to many terrible addictions in this day. It used to be alcohol, many other things, immorality. Now, now drugs is the terrible scourge of our day. And men are addicted and held in the grip of these terrible things. Their lives, their families, their communities destroyed. Slaves to terrible addictions. And then there's something else very interestingly that men are slaves to. And you might find this an odd thing to say. Men, a lot of men in this world, they're slaves to religion. You might say slaves to religion. Surely religion's a good thing. There's a dear brother in Ockram, and I think some of you have met him. He's a man called Aver McLean in his early 60s. And... Been in the assembly a long time, over 30 years, but Aver took diabetes and lost his sight and had a stroke and fell out of bed and broke his hip. Had a terrible time, but still rejoicing in God. And, you know, very wise man, reads a lot, and he would always say to me, religion tells you what you want to hear, the gospel tells you what you need to know. And you know, there's many held and terrible religious systems and beliefs around the world. Do you know the greatest tragedy tonight? That many of those that have a false faith, they're far more zealous than we who have the truth. That is the sad truth, and speaking personally at times. There's the slavery of religion. Many of the world's religions, it's do, 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 do. But tonight I'm not here to tell you to do anything other than simply repent, that is, to turn away from your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. As we were gathered around the emblems this morning, uh, somebody was reading from, I think it was Oliver McAllister, was reading from John 19. He was reading where the Lord Jesus cried, finished. I come to tell you there's a finished work tonight. There's a way back to God. And as far as doing and paying and uh, anything like that, it's done. It's all been done. What is it the hymn and the uh, Believer's Hymnbook says? I must sing them the hymns. It says, done is the work that saves once and forever done. So I'm not here tonight to tell you to, to join any religious system or anything like that. It'll only hold you in slavery. 
And then there's the slavery of unbelief and indifference. You know, the Bible tells us something, tells us a lot about the end times, and I have to say, it just fits like your hand fitting in a well-fitting glove. It says, in the last days, men shall be lovers of pleasure more than God. And Sunday now is just a, a big day out. As we come by the shops today, you wouldn't know it was a Sunday, only we know it is. Sunday's a big day for sport and for leisure. And people are held in the slavery of pleasure and unbelief and no thought of eternal matters. You know, we come tonight to tell you of one who can free you from every addiction, whether it's a substance, whether it's a religion, whether it's, it's disinterest or ignorance on your part. John 8 and 36 says, If the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. There's maybe many, even those in here tonight in the gathering, who have found that personally true. I suppose for me it was a life of indifference and absolutely no thought about it. But we come to tell you of one who can set you free and forgive you for every sin. And this is the Lord Jesus Christ. Onesimus has met Paul. I'm not sure whether he has sought him out he has run away from his master in Colossae and he has met Paul in Rome in prison. And I want to say that this didn't happen by chance. And you know, the fact you're here tonight, if you're not a Christian tonight, you're not here by chance. You maybe thought, well, I'll just come along to the meeting. You're not here by chance. You haven't been born into a Christian home by chance. You don't work with a Christian colleague at work. You don't maybe live next door to a Christian. It's not by chance. April 1985, I went to work in the bacon factory in Cookstown. It was a time I had been in America before. It was thinking of going back, but somebody had offered me a job and I thought I would go and see how things were. I spent 10 years in that place but I'll tell you what did happen. I met a lot of Christian people. There was a tremendous work for many years done in that factory. And I met a fellow who every dinner time for about a month told me about the gospel. Told me how God loved me, how the Lord Jesus would have died for me if I had been the only sinner. In May 1985, the 30th, I got saved. Not knowing a lot. Not saying I know much more now, but all I knew I was a guilty lost sinner and that Jesus died for me. Tonight, if you want to be saved, you don't have to know this. You don't have to be a scholar in this book. I'm not a scholar, but if you know the truth and believe it that Jesus died for your sins, you're well on your way. You're on your way to salvation. He died for our sins and he rose for our justification. You know, things just don't happen by chance. Onesimus met Paul, and you know, I think in this wee letter, I've never seen Paul speak so graciously, so kindly, and so loving, and you just see that man of God and Christian gentleman presented to you. And Onesimus, God had directed him there, 
And Onesimus has got saved. I would, you would love to have heard, wouldn't you, the conversations as Paul would have told him the gospel story, how that Christ Jesus come into the world to save sinners. Onesimus has got saved. It's a big thing, salvation. I remember shortly after I got saved, my boss in the factory in Cookstown at that time, he was Alan Riddle's father-in-law, a man called George Forrest. He's an aged man now, but he's in the assembly in Cookstown. I remember him and me used to speak often about spiritual things, and I suppose as a as a newborn babe in Christ, he tried to encourage me, and he would say to me, it's a big thing to be saved. And I had some understanding. Yes, I had, but can I tell you, some 30 years later, when I realized the whole thing and get grounded in the faith, it's truly tonight, it's a big thing to be saved. We live in a cruel, wicked world that's hurtling headlong towards judgment. And how good it is to have a hiding place, to have found the place of mercy, to found that haven of rest and, and through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and the grace of God. When Isimus, he's got saved, he's found salvation. Salvation, it's a big thing. Salvation's a necessary thing. The Bible tells us that there's no other name given under <coughs> heaven whereby men must be saved. If you're going to be saved tonight, salvation is not an optional extra. There is a need, if you hear the gospel message, that you will repent, that is to say, turn away from your own way and your own sort of life to follow God, to believe that the Lord Jesus took your guilty place and died for you. But you know, not only is it a big thing, salvation, not only is it a necessary thing, but here's the really, really important thing that you might grasp tonight if you're not a Christian. Salvation's an urgent thing. Now is the appointed day. Now's the appointed time. I don't know tonight if I'll get home and I'll go to bed. I don't know. I hope so. But I wouldn't be foolish enough to say, oh, I, it'll happen. The Bible tells me this, that we should boast not ourselves of tomorrow, for we know not what a day brings forth. And I would say every one of us in here know we have lived long enough and we know how tragic life can be through health that can deteriorate with a visit to the doctor, accidents on the road. We know that we're not here forever and we know that we don't boast ourselves of tomorrow. Salvation is urgent tonight. And if you know not the Lord Jesus, please, I would plead with you not to put it off before you get the matter settled tonight. What now then for Onesimus? He has indeed. He has met Paul. He's got saved. And I believe there's a desire to put right that which he has done wrong. He wants to go back to his master, Philemon, and Colossae. Now, much as it seems wrong, and I don't think that it was the mind of God that any other human being should be the property or a thing to uh, have as a possession, we set it against the backdrop in the day and the age in which it was. As we have said, it was the course of the Roman Empire, two-thirds possibly, of his citizens were the status of a slave. 
But anyway, I believe that Onesimus wants to put it right and indeed wonder, what's he going to do now? I think he would need someone who would mediate on his behalf. And who better than Paul? What a character the Apostle Paul was. You know, I was reading about him in Galatians 1 at 4, and he says how that he was advancing uh, in Judaism above even people that were older than him. Oh, he was said to be a star in Judaism and the Jewish faith. Learned man, zealous man. But you know, he was a man that he hated the gospel in his blindness. You know, when uh, Stephen was murdered, it says he was there consenting. He was holding the coats of those that do it. I think and even in Acts 22, he confesses to his part in it. To oppress the gospel was no problem to him. You know, we live in a day and an age you would hardly believe the things that are happening to Christians around the world. I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Barnabas or of Herdifan who worked with persecuted Christians. Sometimes if you want an update just to see what's happening Christians around the world, go and see it. I was reading it there a few weeks ago about a young believer in India. Somebody had threw acid over him. The young man had suffered 70% burns and as a result, a short time later died. His crime because he refused to stop having a prayer meeting in his home every day. You know, the gospel it has always been hated. The Lord Jesus says, if they've hated me without a cause, they're going to hate you that follow in his footsteps. Paul was consenting to the death of Stephen, and he was, he was really zealous for the Jewish faith, but then there was a day in his life when things changed. When he was going to Damascus, a place that we often hear about on the news, he was going there and his business was to create havoc and to persecute the Christians. But Paul wasn't reckoning on God. It says, wasn't there the light that was a brightness above the sun? And what did the Lord Jesus, what did he say to Paul? He says, he didn't say, why are you persecuting those Christians? What are you going to... Damascus to give the believers a hard time. He said, why do you persecute me? You know, that's the affinity the Lord Jesus has with us. There's a verse of scripture, and it's so awesome that I can barely take it in. It says he's not ashamed to call us brother. Imagine men, women like us, he's not ashamed to call us brother. But anyhow, that was the day in which Paul's life was turned from one direction, headlong down that broad road that leads to destruction. His life was on the narrow way. You know, if you want a mediator tonight, the Bible tells me that there's one mediator. I love the simplicity of the scripture. The, the, a lot of the Bible, yes, it's profound, it's deep. But a lot of the really important doctrinal things, the things you need to know as a sinner tonight, they're very, very simple. First Timothy 2 and 5 says, There's one mediator between men and God, 
That's the man, Christ Jesus. It's not a minister, it's not a pastor, it's not a priest, it's not a rabbi, it's not an imam, it's not an elder in the church. There's one mediator, and it's God's only Son, the Lord Jesus. One mediator between men, plural, the man, singular, Christ Jesus. And just as, indeed, very graciously and lovingly, Paul was at, as smoothing the waters for when Esimus returned to Philemon, the Lord Jesus Christ will mediate on your behalf. You know, there's a great truth in the Bible. Hebrews 9 and 22 tells us without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sin. And what a book the Bible is. On some of the earliest pages of Scripture, remember the first time I ever tried to preach the gospel, I read about Cain and Abel. Genesis chapter 4, we read about the two children of Adam and Eve. They brought sacrifices to God. Cain, he brought the works of his hand. He was a, a farmer. Abel, he made a sacrifice, killed an animal, and blood was shed. Abel was accepted, his sacrifice was accepted, Cain's was rejected. And Cain didn't take this rejection well. He was very wroth, it tells us there in Genesis 4. And he took it that badly that he murdered his brother Abel. But I think it's wonderful. Upon the most earliest pages of Scripture, we learn how acceptance is with God. We learn the approach to God that it's through a blood sacrifice. Then we could go further in the book of Genesis. Genesis 22, Abraham and Isaac. God told Abraham, take your son Isaac, take him to Mount Moriah, make a, a fire of wood, place him on it. And Abraham, man of faith that he was, God commended him for his faith. He says he was the friend of God. God always commends faith if you read the scriptures. And he was a better man than me for he took his son and he put him upon that altar and he was about to plunge the knife into him when a voice said, Harm not the lad. And he looked and there was a ram caught in the ho by its horns in the thicket. And you know, I thought, not only is this a picture of the sacrifice, Abraham had told his son, his son had cutely enough realized there was no animal for a sacrifice, but Abraham believed God will provide a lamb. And there was a ram caught by the horn in the thickets. And you know something, I thought, how amazing, not only was there a blood sacrifice, but even the very fact he was caught in the thorns. What did they give the Lord Jesus at Calvary? They gave him a crown of twisted, cruel thorns. But where am I going with this? Well, again, we could think about the Paschal Lamb in Egypt. This is one of my favorite places in the Bible. You know, the Hebrews, they had been prisoners cruelly entreated slaves of the Egyptians for many years. God had sent the plagues upon Pharaoh and sent Aaron and Moses to tell them to let his people go. Finally, there was going to be the curse upon the firstborn. And he told the, the Hebrews, he says, Take a lamb, a lamb without blemish, slaughter it, put its blood upon the doorposts and the lentils. And when the death angel passes over Egypt to take the firstborn, it'll pass over you. 
This evening, you know, those were all events and things that happened, but they were all things that would point to the Lamb of God. I often think of John 1 and 29 as uh, John the Baptist was baptizing as he saw the Lord Jesus approach along the banks of the Jordan River. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God. John knew exactly who he was. He knew the significance of the Lamb. Tonight, dear friend, without the Savior, do you realize the importance of the Lamb? Do you realize who he is? Do you realize, unlike Isaac, he didn't come down off that altar? There were those around him that derided him. Come down to the cross if you be God. If the Lord Jesus had come down to the cross, there'd be no salvation for you or for me. But he suffered and bled and died that ignominious and cruel death. Even before that, that horrible trial of mockery and how he was treated by those cruel Roman soldiers. And here he is. Here he is at Calvary, suffering in the midst of two common thieves. The most cruel death that you would think anyone could ever come up with or imagine. But you know, Corinthians 15 tells us this, Christ died for our sins. The Lord Jesus, how ironic. You know, when I read that, the irony of it is to me that Christ died. The only man that never could die or would normally die entered voluntarily into death. Because sin, death has passed upon all men. But as we know our Lord Jesus Christ, he was a sinless, perfect Son of God. And he entered voluntarily into death. And he gave himself to that cruel death. Not only the cruel mockery of that mock trial, all the ignominy and shame and pain of the cross, but then the three dark hours when the Father poured upon him the iniquities of a guilty sinful world. You know, Peter says this, Christ has once suffered the just for the unjust. Think about it tonight, dear friend, without Christ, the one who never sinned, who never could. He took the punishment for you and for me. He took the punishment that you and I could be returned to our master, to God. Finally, we'll move on quickly for time's getting away. What about Philemon? He was the owner of Phoenicimus. As I've said, I can't imagine that God's plan was that any man should own another man, but yet rather a consequence of sin. The thing about it was, Philemon, he was the man's owner. That's the way things were in that day. If you owned a slave, he was your property. And this reminds me that God, God's the owner of this world. He says, and I think it's Psalm 50, is it? He says, every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills are mine. And you know, he is the great creator. What does our Bible open with tonight? It opens with the words, God created heaven and earth. He's our owner. He's the master. And he has indeed, we have been separated from him. Now, 
The question is, would Philemon accept Onesimus back? Well, we don't have a, a definitive answer. But the fact that he is a Christian, he's acquainted to Paul, Onesimus is a Christian, you would like to think that in the spirit of Christianity that he accepted his wayward uh, slave back. By the way, Philemon, names were important in those days. Philemon meant friendly. So you would like to think that he lived up to that fact. Onesimus' name meant useful. But the question is, would he accept him? Somebody was reading in the meeting this morning, Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son. And I'm sure you're well enough acquainted with that story, how this uh, farmer, well-to-do man, he had two sons, and the, the elder of the sons, he was rather bold and forward. He asked that he would have his share of his father's inheritance while the man yet lived. And he went off into the far country, he went into the world with the inheritance, and he spent it on wild and sinful and foolish living. But one day when he was reduced to feeding the pigs and would have eaten the very food they were eating, he thought, he caught himself on, he thought, I'll go back to my father, he'll make me as one of his servants. You know, there's a lovely thought in that story. When he did go back, what was the father doing? Sitting, bitter, and twisted. I'm not letting that boy ever back. It says he was looking for him. And I would say maybe from the day that son left, he was looking for him. Dear friend, without Christ tonight, can I say reverently and use this as an example, God the Father's looking for you every day. He wants to be saved. He has given his best. He has given his only begotten son as a mediator, as a substitute to bleed today, to shed blood on your behalf. But further can I say that might encourage you tonight. Acts 2 and 21 tells us that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, I'm glad that of some very small part in the gospel because it's the whosoever message for the wheresoever, whether it's in the Amazon jungle tonight, whether it's in Australia, whether it's in Scotch Street outside Portadown. This is a universal message for everyone. Now it's over to Onesimus. Would he go back? And I'm sure, yes, he had got saved. He knew his master was saved. He knew Paul had spoken very graciously and very warmly on his behalf. But there was one thing Onesimus would have to do. He'd have to take that first step from Rome and head back to Colossae to see his master Philemon. And you know, there's one thing you'll have to do tonight. It's not saying a register. It's not pay money, it's not join anything, it's not religious observing. There's one thing you'll have to do, that's take a wee step of faith. And that simply is, will you repent, turn away and take a step and say, yes, Lord Jesus, I'm a guilty sinner. I believe you died and rose for me. I want you as my saviour. You know, it's hard to believe, it seems so long ago now, 
from I became a Christian. What do I believe then? I believe the Lord Jesus died for me. What do I believe tonight? I believe Jesus died for me. And tonight, this would be my prayer and desire. This would be my reward any time is that somebody would simply believe and say that Jesus died for me. We trust and pray that if you're not a Christian tonight, if you're not saved, that you may take that step towards God, knowing that one has mediated in your behalf, one has took your place, has died, has shed their blood, that you might be forgiven of your sins, that you might have life and have it more abundant, and that you might go to heaven when this life is over. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we come to Thee at the close of our little time spent together, and we thank You, Father, for some understanding of spiritual things. We thank Thee for this little book that surely would speak to us of Thy gracious dealings with sinful mankind. Father, for those of us that know Thee as Lord and Saviour, how readily we would acknowledge that it is absolutely nothing to do with us, but it is by thy mercy, thy great mercy, thou hast saved us. And we think of those lovely words in Ephesians, For by grace, through faith, are ye saved. It is the gift of God, and not of man, lest any man should boast. And Father, we rejoice tonight. We thank thee we have found the heaven of rest, and we come to thee on behalf of others. Should there be someone in the meeting tonight as yet, that Lord hasn't taken that step towards thee in faith, might realize that they are precious in thy sight, that you've given your son to suffer, to bleed and die on their behalf. And we just trust and pray, Father, that someone might be saved by thy grace even this very evening. Bless the gospel. Accept of our thanks, Father, for every gift, and take us to our homes in safety as we give thanks in the Saviour's name.